good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Father Aloysius Schwartz is a name I was totally unfamiliar with until I came across Kevin Wells' book, Priest and Beggar, The Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. Uh, as it turns out, we're talking about the, the problem uh, of Latin America. Uh, and one complaint that uh, critics have and those who left the church had is th- that I didn't mention in the lead up to this segment was that uh, priests who would not meet with them, who didn't spend time with them, the complaint that the Catholic Church was too, quote, impersonal and institutional. Well, we're going to look at the life of this priest uh, and find a man who was very much identified with the poorest of the poor. And let me tell you a little bit about Kevin, though, before we get to uh, uh, Father Aloysius Schwartz. Kevin uh, is the author of uh, a book that's had a tremendous uh, impact already, The Priests We Need to Save the Church. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a volume that's been much passed around, much talked about, and I assume much bought. Uh, he's formerly, Kevin's formerly a Major League Baseball writer, uh, won a number of awards as a journalist. And he's also president and, uh, of the Monsignor Thomas Wells Society, which is dedicated to the promotion of strong priests and seminarians. Uh, he lives in Millersville, Maryland, with his wife and three children. And as I said, he's the author of Priest and Beggar, The Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. Kevin, good to have you back here. Thanks. Hey, Al, it's great to be back with you. Thanks for having me on. When did you first learn about uh, Aloysius Schwartz? How, how did he come across your, your radar? Uh, very interesting. Um, so nobody knows Father Al Schwartz because he prayed not to be known. <laughs> uh, as you, He really did. He, as you had mentioned, he, I had written a book a few years ago called The Priest We Need to Save the Church, and a married couple came up to me and they said, hey, we know who that priest is, Kevin and we want you to write his biography. So they gave me a little bit of reading material, and I read about his life, and I said, this man is startling. What he did, you know, I believed at that time, and I still do, had never been done in the history of the Catholic Church. So uh, I proposed it to Father Fessio at Ignatius, and when he learned about Father Al, he said, yeah, write this guy's biography. So so that's how it happened. I... um, I, I began to explore his life, and I, I, outside the finger of God, what he did, I, I don't know how it could have been accomplished. Oh, that's, that's great. Uh, we need these examples and models, as, as you say. Um, was it difficult to start writing a biography? Uh, is it a different type of writing for you? Uh, it was, but, but, but Al, as a, a sports writer, I... I um, I learned my sports editor once, uh, a sports editor told me, hey, look, if you ever want to get to know what a poor person is, just don't count the broken windows in his community. Find the poor people behind them. So <laughs> I, went down, I, I went to Mexico for three weeks, and I studied uh, sort of the sisters that tended to Father Al at the end of his life. You know, Father Al, by the way, Father Al, Father Al is very important for these days because he was around when Michael Jordan was halfway through his basketball career. He, this guy was around in 92 before he died of ALS. 
so um, yeah. so I began to interview these sisters and saw what he did, and, and uh, so so really it was it was just being a reporter and just sort of presenting the facts. Beautiful. Well, let's uh, let's start with uh, his origins. How, uh, when was he born? Where was he born? What kind of upbringing did he have? Could not have been born at a worse time. Um, born in the teeth of the Great Depression, Hitler was on the rise. He had a dad who was a grade school dropout, uh, grew up on the wrong side of the tracks in Washington, D.C., and, you know, at the age of eight or nine, just like, just like uh, you know, radical people, they have these radical ideas, and, and he, his thought was, it was like a pilot light blinked on. He said, you know, God's face seemed to have turned away from my family. We're poor. We know chaos. There's darkness. But I wonder if a priest, I wonder if I can become a priest that addresses families like mine wow. that can tend to them. And, and it just grew from there. <laughs> Did his family have respect for the Catholic priesthood? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Very Catholic family. Okay. Uh, Al, Al served Mass, daily Mass. So, yeah, they grew up in the faith. Okay. Um and did he did he have any particular priests that influenced him in his vocation? No, Al, the saints did. He began to read the lives of the saints as an 11, 12, 13-year-old boy, and realized, and really, it, believe it or not, it was Therese of Lisieux that really sort of lit a light in his soul. Interesting. And he said, I want to go to seminary. He was the only kid that Gonzaga Catholic High School in D.C. offered a full scholarship to. He was very smart. And Al said, no, I don't want it. I want to join seminary. So he, so he, so he joined St. Charles Minor Seminary as a 13-year-old boy. Wow. And so he, and then he just he continued on uh, to ordination. Uh, pretty straight track? No. And this, is, this, will, this will tell your listener about the uncommon man that he was. He was being formed with the Marinolers, and he became the first, uh, I guess, Marinoler in formation to say, I don't want you. Um, you. He perceived them as too comfortable. What he saw was, although they would go to Africa and Japan and the Philippines and tend to the poor, um, they would return at night and live in a comfortable rectory with nice food and nice you know, couches and mirrors on the wall, etc. And Al said, no. Um, I must become a poor man priest. Wow. Uh, even back then, he wanted to identify with Jesus, the starved man on the cross, you know, the poor man of Nazareth who had nowhere to lay his head. And, and he found that order in Belgium. So he gave up everything. And again, he became the first American ever to leave the Marinolers to, to find a more austere, rugged form of priest. So that's what he did. Wow. Now, he, how did he end up in Belgium? Uh, was he sent there for education? Well, yeah, he, he found an order there called the Samist, and the Samist would, would serve poor, among the poor, and be poor. And he said, that's the kind of priest I want to be. I see. So he knew he wanted to be a missionary, and in 57, you know, he raised his hand and he said to his rector, I, I do want to go to the worst place in the world. That's what he said. And at that point, it was post-war Korea, so that's where he ended up. Oh, my, oh, my. Um did he did, did he have a um, a special devotion to the Blessed Mother, uh, given the 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 order that he founds, the Sisters of Mary? Al, he was a slave to Mary. Um, he found just like Louis de Montfort, he he, um, he visited her apparition site 
frequently in Belgium, Our Lady of Beno, the version of the poor. And it was there, and now get this, it was there at the third apparition when Mary asked this little peasant girl, Mariette, to put her hands in frigid water in January and just leave them there. And everyone thought, well, that's a cruel thing for Our Lady to do. Why right. would she ask this little girl? And Al said, no, uh-uh. She wants Mariette to understand the penances that are necessary from Fatima. She wants Mariette to understand the humiliation that her son felt from the cross. So if a priest is to serve well and to enter into chaos, he must suffer. There has to be a cost. So he is deeply, deeply moved by Mary's sort of this, um, almost this blazing expectation that she had for him as a priest to suffer as a priest. He knew, he knew if he was going to step into chaos and save souls that he, that he had to suffer, and, and that's what he did. You know, the, so was, was his family poor? I just wanted to figure out I mean, this, de- this devotion that he has. I mean, this is a radical commitment uh, to the poor, to the, to the Christ of the poor. Um, was his family in poverty? Did he grow up in poverty? Yes. Okay. He grew up in, grew up in poverty. Yeah, I, want, I didn't quite get that. Um, and so his priesthood is consecrated to the Blessed Mother. Uh, he, wa- he wants to go to the, the most uh, difficult place uh, in the world. He's sent to South Korea. This is what, just after the, uh, the Korean War has begun or has armistice has uh, been already arrived at? Correct. It was December 8, 1957, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, where he arrived, and he saw he saw lepers in the streets rubbing their arms off people to steal their money. Oh. He saw orphans as impregnated by American servicemen left to die. He saw unwed mothers under bridges, and and he and he said he he kind of sniffed in the um, you know the the rot and debris and dead animals and human waste, and he said, "Mary, I asked for poverty." And it embraces me, and I thank you. And one by one by one, he began to act like Atlas and began to put these, these humiliated on his shoulders and, and say, I will, find, I will find houses of resurrection for you. Wow. And that's when he began to build these humble kingdoms of resurrection all over South Korea. You know, within 13 years, South Korea was re-engineered. There were seven-story high hospitals that he built, elementary schools in the slums, boys' towns, girls' towns, hospices, leprosoriums, all because this priest, Father Al, said, I will take the most humiliated and abandoned, and I will give them places of healing, because they have dignity. And that's what he did. Wow. And he... uh, So, so, does he... How did... Well, I guess I'll ask a blunt question. Where does the money come from? Got to read the book, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Al, he was brilliant. You know what? I'm going to leave it to the to the reader to buy priest and beggar. <laughs> really, I think I think that's the great one. One of the greatest parts of the story. How does he raise tens of millions of dollars? So Al, he entered a condemned shack for five years on a mountainside of South Korea, and absorbed the desolation of what he thought was Christ at Golgotha. And he just said, Lord, pour in answers for me. I need your wisdom. These, the, the devastated are too many. I don't know what to do. He came out of that shack years later, and, and, and he had an ingenious way. And within, I would say, two or three years, literally, 
tens of millions of dollars are coming in from Americans and Europeans, and he began to build. Unbelievable. That's just gorgeous. What? Uh, tell me about the religious order. When did he start that? He started in 1964. He wanted okay. really to get into the orphans. Orphans were everywhere. So he knew, he knew these kids needed to be mothered back to health. So he started an order of nuns, of course, after Mary. He had a devotion to her. Mm-hmm. So these so now there's over 400 sisters all over the world. He, from these 12 sisters that began in 64, now they're all over the place. Wow. Kevin, can you stay with me another segment? I'd be obliged. Very good. Kevin Wells, my guest. Priest and Beggar, the book, The Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. It's Father Al's new name probably for you as for me. And uh, enjoying learning about him and his radical commitment to the Christ of the poor. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, Kevin Wells. He's the biographer of uh, Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. Uh, It is truly a a remarkable life. And uh, again, this biography, Priest and Beggar, uh, we have available for you, of course, in the online bookstore. But I want you to make sure that um, when we think this man's not very, he's not far removed from us. Uh, he died, what, at 92, did you say, Kevin? Yes, he did. Okay, so, I mean, he's really of this generation. And uh, I, he was so committed uh, to the poor that he he had to live uh, with them and among them. Uh, this can be awfully taxing on a person's body. He sounds like he was an, uh, uh, you know, an indefatigable worker. Uh, did he have a community of uh, fellow priests that he worked with? Uh, how, how did he maintain his, uh, you know, his strength? Well, he had a heart that gave itself to the miserable. He just he was very radical that way. He wanted to live among the poorest of the poor. He and Mother Teresa knew each other. Mother Teresa greatly respected Father Al for it. You know, you couldn't put a finger on him. He was like Damon the leper, where he would get yeah. into the wound, and he was like John Bosco, where he saw the potentiality of the troubled child. And yeah. he just he was like Teresa Lassoo, where he wanted to give every moment to God. He he was a radical. Um, yeah. You just couldn't put a finger on the guy. Yeah. But but um, he didn't have. And, and now I'll, I'll be candid. You know, it's almost like today. He didn't have contemporaries because he was just too hard of a grinder. I'll just tell you this. Five or six American priests had heard about what he was doing in the 60s, and they went over to try and help them. Um, They all left within a year. One priest, Monsignor James Golosinski, in Texas, um, he told me, he said, Kevin, um, what I saw for those 10 years is, is inexplicable what of how hard he worked. He said oftentimes people will say that St. Vincent de Paul was the great apostle of charity and the poor, but he said, I was there for 10 years, and what I saw this man do, this priest do, exceeded St. Vincent de Paul. He, he just, he was a wonder worker. So, so there wasn't a lot of people that could keep, I hate to say it, yeah. that could keep up with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Recount for me, if you would, the institutions that he's responsible for having birthed. 
he his lasting legacy is remarkable. He put over 170,000 children that were like Lazarus in tombs. He pulled them out and said, we will bring you into these humble kingdoms of resurrection called boys' towns and girls' towns. For five years, we will nourish you, catechize you, educate you. We will give you the love of Jesus Christ. The sisters will help lead you to a place of health and understanding your dignity. So today, there's over 15 boys' towns and girls' towns in seven different countries all over the world. As we speak right now, there's 21,000 kids that had bowls of cornflakes today because of Father Al. Um, So he started what's called World Villages for Children. And Al, I'll be candid. I knew nothing about them. But when I found out about this, I, I, I changed everything. I changed my tithe. I changed, so I give to them, and here's why. One reason. Obviously, you know they're taking the poorest of the poor and giving them new life. Yeah. But here's the bigger reason. I, I'm just going to say it. I think what Father Al and these sisters are producing are some of the greatest Catholic missionaries the world has, because when they graduate, they go into these pagan universities, you know, and workplaces that are, you know, they're, they're modern, they're secular, or, yeah. or even their own workplaces, and they go with as formed and healed Catholics, and they are fearless. I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of what goes on at World Villages. Do we see uh, any of his work here in the United States? You know, Alex, terrible. He should still be alive. He would be ninety-one years old. He ran every day of his life. He was in great shape, but he died of Lou Gehrig's disease. If he didn't die in ninety-two. Um, I think there would be, I think there'd be boys towns and girls towns in the hollers of West Virginia, yeah. in the inner city of Chicago. Yep. But but the problem is, it, it costs millions of dollars to build these boys towns and girls towns. So, mm-hmm. and I encourage your listener to go on worldvillages.org if you're touched by this this staggering work that these sisters do. Go to worldvillages.org to see how you can help. Worldvillages.org. Yes, this is. Uh, I'm sure this is new. Uh, to uh, our listeners, it certainly is new to me. And uh, when did he? What, how much time did he have once he was diagnosed with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease? He was diagnosed in '89, and and Al, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm diagnosed with ALS, right? I say, well, I'm taking my foot off the pedal, and I'm just <laughs> kicking back for a little bit. Yeah, I got three years. Instead, Al Al says, "Look, Mary, look, I I can't." My clothes don't fit anymore. I, I, my voice doesn't really work. I, there's not much left in the tank. But wh- what do you what do you think, Mary? And Mary said, "Al, I'm losing my Juan Diego's. I want you to go to Mexico." So he leaves the Philippines <laughs> and he goes to Mexico. You know, in a wheelchair, nailed to the cross of his wheelchair, can't lift his head, can't speak, and he builds a seven-story high girls' town in Chalco, Mexico, where today. There's 3,300 girls that are living because Father Al said, I have Lou Gehrig's disease. I don't care, Mary. You call me, so I go. Wow. Well, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about expanding his influence. Uh, who's responsible for his cause? Who's, who's working behind it? Well, he, he set up camp in the Philippines after he rebuilt South Korea, the Philippines called him over and they said, we need you to come here. So today there's four different boys' towns and girls' towns there. So the canonization cause is taken up there. He's venerable, 
Pope Francis declared him venerable in 2015. Okay. All he needs now is a miracle. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I, you know what? So I'm very glad if 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 any of your listeners are suffering from ALS or know somebody who's suffering from ALS, please call on Father Al, and and uh, if you go on worldvillages.org, report. And, and, and there's a prayer for um, uh, for beatification on worldvillages.org. But but pray for him. If anyone's going to intercede, it's going to be this guy, Father Al. Yeah, okay, very good. Um, now, the fact that he he's really of our generation, died in 1992, means that he's he, he is somebody that is more immediate to us. Um, are there... For instance, seminaries. Do you know of any seminaries which hold him out as a model priest? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of circle back. Because he prayed not to be known, yeah. because he was too busy, yep. you know, I often think if Malcolm Muggridge didn't figure out this Mother Teresa that she might be unknown. Yeah, but, right, right. But, but now that the biography's written, yeah, so, so seminaries, matter of fact, Mark, Wednesday, I'll be in Notre, or, um, yeah, Notre Dame Seminary in uh, in New Orleans to speak of Father Al. Good. So, so now that he's becoming known, I think, and Al, I'll just say it, I think it's vital. Al lived uncomfortably. Al understood, you know, he, he sort of soberly assessed the poverty, and we'll just, we'll just call it what it is in 2022. It's the poverty of the soul. Yeah. And he had this temperament that no one could grasp, Al would go to the poorest places. And in America today, he would diagnose, you know, the comfort, the, the secularism, the human, humanitarian, the godlessness, and he'd say, that's where I go. Yeah. So seminarians, I think, today, or rectors, are asking to learn more about this Father Al, who would step into the chaos. Al knew if he didn't step into the chaos that things would stay chaotic. So rectors, I believe, See the sort of the linear symmetry how Father Al, because he wanted to be like Jesus, right. who was uncomfortable. Yeah, I think I think they want their seminarians to, to see that the, the same sort of the same dynamic. No, I mean this is I was just before we started talking, I was talking about a Wall Street Journal article uh, which is talking about Latin America uh, losing uh, its Catholic identity and, uh, and Pentecostals and Evangelicals have been. Uh, t- Taking people from the, uh, the outside the visible boundaries of the Catholic Church, and one of the reasons that people leave in this article, one of the reasons people leave is that the priests were too distant, uh, they were too impersonal, uh, they didn't, um, you know, they they didn't. Uh, one prostitute who had just left the church uh, to join a Pentecostal group said that uh, this Pentecostal pastor would pray with her, you know. And the Catholic priests she knew wouldn't do that. So a model like uh, Father Al uh, would really, I think, wake up uh, a lot of priests. It, it's actually it's kind of frightening when you think of how radical. I mean, you had you wrote about him. You you lived with him. You know, in your in your spirit for uh, however long it took you to write the book, research and write the book. What is what? What's changed in you as a result of that? You can't write about a man like this without making changes, right? No, he kicked me in the teeth. <laughs> that's, you what know? that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. I wrote about this guy, and I was like, "It was that scripture passage." You know, you know. I'm thinking I'm a good husband and a good dad, <laughs> but 
<laughs> like on my judgment day, he's like, depart from me. I don't even know you. Yeah. You know, yeah. you read about Father Al and you're, you're bruised. You're like, I, I, I thought it was measuring up, but I'm, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm doing nothing. Right, right. So he was, he, again, I'll say it, he was startling. And by the way, Al, I read the article, you know, when it came out last month. Yeah. And you nailed it. You nailed it. It's, it's Catholic priests. Uh, let, I'll just say it. I'll, I'll, I'll say a word that you didn't say. They're too comfortable. Yeah. Father Al was never comfortable. Um, you know, so it's easy to have, for that Pentecostal Joel Osteen effect in Mexico. Yeah. You know, give, yeah. you know, give him some cakes, you know, play some loud music, get the lights and all that. And, yeah. and you know, the, the, uh, God bless them. But, but the poor and the, and the sort of the humiliated, they're drawn to that. Right. Well, well Father Al understood uh, with the poor, uh, whether it's the Philippines or Korea or Mexico, that they needed to know Christ. Yeah. So he worked. And the sisters knew that, too, and they worked. So they suffered. They took on the identity, the yes. burden of their identity, to suffer like Christ. And Father Al's motto for the sisters, you know what it was? It was like, the way we work is to have a constant crown of thorns. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so, so that's how Father Al got it done. Wow. Uh, Kevin, let's talk a little bit about what people can do, having heard our discussion. They certainly can get the book, Priest and Beggar, The Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. Uh, and they can get more information where? Okay, well, I, I, beg, I beg your listener. You know, I changed my tithe once I figured this thing out a couple years ago. Now they're on the top of my tithe. So go on to worldvillages.org. You can sponsor a sister, you can sponsor a child, and you can, and, I, and I'll say it again, and I mean this, these kids are going out and they're helping to rebuild our church, catechize our church. Yeah. They're missionaries. Yeah. Theworldvillages.org, I would encourage your listener to please financially support, because we need more boys' towns and girls' towns, because yeah. there's too many poor kids out there. Yeah, and, and, and they're not just taking care of the, the physical, uh, social needs, they're actually making disciples and sending them into the world. Is that right? Well, that's the whole key. They don't care yeah. about giving a fish. Right. They, they, they want these kids to go out and catechize the world. Yeah, yeah. That's remarkable. So worldvillages.org is the place to go um, to get more on this. Kevin, thank you so much. Great talking with you. And uh, uh, this is, again, a wonderful, uh, wonderful discovery. And, uh, you know, I know it's going to be... Uh, I know he's going to put me through a lot of uh, discomfort, but I'm glad I talked to you. <laughs> Join the club. All right. Join the club. We'll talk again. Thanks, Kevin. Kevin Bye. Wells, priest and beggar, the heroic life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. Yeah, it, it's amazing, huh? He prayed not to be known, and I think that's one of the reasons he, we don't know. He died in 1992.